go. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bible or you have a way to get the scripture, maybe you have your iPhone or your Android phone. We don't want to leave the Androids out. Maybe you got your iPad, your iPod, uh, or some other way. Maybe you got your laptop. I don't know what you got. But uh, however you get to Scripture, get to Ephesians chapter 4. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, Paul told the church at Ephesus this. He said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the spirit, to keep the unity of the spirit. In the bond of peace, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about the dynamic effects of spiritual unity. Unity is something that God has instilled from the beginning. Even before he created time, he is unified within himself. And this perhaps is why your enemy wants so bad to create disunity. Whether it's on your job, in your family, or in your church, come on. Your enemy would like nothing more than to create disunity. But what we have to understand here is Paul told the church at Ephesus that we must endeavor. Endeavor means to try hard, not just to do something. It means to try hard to accomplish something. He said endeavor to keep. The unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. You know, there's been so often in my walk with God that I've seen certain things or read certain scripture or interacted with people. And people may have said things to me. And I said, well, that, you know, that doesn't seem right. I don't think God would do it that way. And uh, he probably would do it this way. And one, one morning... I was praying, I was reading and I was praying and I was having some quiet time with the Lord and God spoke to me and said, you know, you have too much of your own mind in what I want to do with you. And I said, what do you, what do you mean by that, Lord? He said, well, you got a lot of ideas how things should go, how I should run the church. Let me give you an example. I don't want to get off into this, but this is just an example. I was, I was praying one morning, and, and, the, and the Lord spoke to me and said to pray for Jerusalem. I heard that. I never even told my wife this. It was probably eight months ago, same time I was 
he was giving me this series. And uh, pray for Jerusalem. I said, okay. And then I just kept, I said, okay, yeah, Lord, I hear that. I'll do that. And I kept reading. And then the Lord stopped me and said, no, now I want you to pray for Jerusalem. So here's, now look, here's, here's what I did. I started praying for the church. Praying for the church because that's what it means to me, you know. We're grafted in. We're Abraham's seed by the Spirit, right? I mean, that's what I read in the Bible. And uh, he said, no, I didn't tell you to pray for the church. So I said, Lord, I said, listen, let me tell you. Whenever you see Jerusalem in the Bible, it means church. That's what I was telling the Lord. He said, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I would think if I wrote the Bible, I would know what it means. So you can see the foolishness of what I was saying and what I was doing. And so often, many of us are that way. Come on. Because it seems like the right thing to do, or it should go this way, or that's the way we should run church, or this is the way we should interact with people. We sometimes know better than God knows. But God tells us in his word how we should interact. It's not up to us to create unity. He said endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. God's got a way that unity should go. And he knows better than us. But sometimes we say, well, I need to give somebody, if we're going to keep unity, this is the way we need to run it. That person was wrong, and I need to give them a piece of my mind and straighten them out, and then that way they can line up. But that's not always what God says. He said to keep the unity of the Spirit. So I would think if we want to know what unity is, we need to go back to the Spirit. Come on. And find out how God wants us to run this thing. Come on. Best example I could give you of unity is, I, I heard it this way. I'm, I am not a mayonnaise person. I'm, I'm more like Miracle Whip. But a lot of people like mayonnaise, I know. It's all right, nothing wrong with that. And uh, But one of the things I discovered about mayonnaise is there's a couple of ingredients in there that don't go together. There's oil in mayonnaise and there's water in mayonnaise. And so oil and water don't get along too well. They have their own ideas about the way things should run. Come on. Oil wants to go this way. Water wants to go this way. But somebody said y'all got to work together. And they said, I don't know about that. Oil said, I can work with water as long as it comes along with me. Come on, water, this way. Now, how many people know water's not going to go the way you tell it to go? Water's going to go where it wants to go. And so these brilliant people who created mayonnaise knew that it needed an emulsifier. That's something that brings two things together, two liquids together that normally would not mix, and it, it causes them to mix together perfectly. And they said, we need, we need eggs. Not just for the taste, but eggs serve as an emulsifier, and they bring oil and water together to give some of you the delicious mayonnaise that you enjoy so well. Come on. But no emulsifier, you just have some oil and you'd have some water. Come on. Some of us resist the emulsification of the Spirit of God. 
God said, the only way this is going to work is y'all got to work together. And you say, well, I don't like the way she does things. I don't particularly like the way he preaches. I don't like the way he runs the men's meeting. I don't like the direction that that person is taking it. But God said, listen, don't worry about the direction they're taking it. Don't worry about the way he runs the men's meeting. You better get with me and understand what I'm doing. You better look beyond what's right in front of you and see that I am taking my church somewhere. And in order to get there, y'all going to need to work together. Now, the spirit comes in as, and begins the emulsification process, come on, and begins to make us work together. And it doesn't matter what, what your background is, what your color is, whatever. Your gender doesn't matter because in God, come on, no Greek or Jew, no male who know the scripture or female, come on, we're all one. And in case us men want to get a little haughty and say, these women, they need to get with us, you need to understand that we're all the bride of Christ. He's the man. We're the bride. Come on, somebody say amen to that. We need to line up with what he's doing. And I love the example. I've, I've used it very often. I've never done it, just like I don't eat mayonnaise. I, you know, I eat salad, Miracle Whip. I've never surfed. But I love the example of the surfer and how he goes out there or she goes out there and uh, she says, look, I'm a surf today, so let me create some waves. Wave, come, so I can surf. There you go. Stop, wave. Is that what a surfer does? Surfer can't do that. Surfer got to go out there with the board and wait. And when the wave comes, the surfer's job is to get up on the thing and ride the wave in. Well, guess what, church people? You can't create a move of the Spirit. You can't tell God what Jerusalem means in the Bible just because you think you know better. Your job is to have your surfboard, and when the Spirit moves, say, where are you taking me, Lord? I'm going that way. That's what we got to do. I'm talking about the unification of the Spirit. We need to keep the unity of the Spirit of God, not how we think things should go. Heard this phrase, and you may have heard it before. United we stand, divided we fall. You think some famous soldier said that, or, you know, President Abraham Lincoln, or I know it's a state motto of Kentucky. A lot of y'all didn't know that, I know, because you don't really study Kentucky. It's all right. Uh, but it really was, was first recorded back in one of Aesop's fables. And uh, this was the fable about the lion and the oxen. And he tells a story of four oxen being in a, a field, being in a meadow. And they were there grazing together, and there was a lion that saw them and began to hunt them. But every time one of the oxen saw the lion, he would wag his tail, and all the oxen would come together. And no matter what direction that lion came from, uh, that he would meet the horns of one of the oxen because they were all standing there together. And this went on and on until one day the oxen started arguing. So they said, look, you go over there, I'm going over here, and, I'm, and he, he's going over there. Forget this. I'm tired of trying to work with y'all. Y'all don't see things my way? Go over there. You can have it your way. Lion saw this, took him down one by one, 
until all four of the oxen. You see, the enemy loves to divide and conquer. The sad thing is that a lot of church folk allow him to do that. We don't even recognize what the enemy is doing. But you got to understand that united we stand and divided we fall. Come on. In this passage of scripture that we just read, it's amazing to me the word one was used seven or eight times. One body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Come on. There's only one spirit. God harps on this thought of unity all through the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Let me give you some scriptures. Psalms 133. Behold how good and pleasant. See, it's not just a requirement. Oh, I got to do this thing. Here, give me your hand. We're going to walk. Come on. We're walking together. That's not walking together. Because David said, behold how good and pleasant it is when the brethren and sisterin dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil upon the head running down on the beard of Aaron to the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon. It's, it's beautiful. It's lovely. It's a great thing when a people can come together. Matthew 18, 19, and 20. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree, that means to harmonize together, make a symphony together about whatever it is, anything and everything, they may ask, and it will come to pass and be done for them by my Father in heaven. This is Jesus speaking. For wherever two or three are gathered, are drawn together as my followers into my name, there I am in the midst of them. When you create a symphony, when you come together. John 17, 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe me through their word that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. He gave us an example of how to be one. Another scripture, Matthew chapter 12. 25 to 27, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Come on. And every city or house, whether it's your home you live in, the house of God, come on, divided against itself will not stand. Earlier they told him, this man ain't nothing but Jesus. Uh, this ain't nothing. It's Jesus. He's he nothing but the enemy. He's just Satan. He said, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast him out? Come on. No, it's not going to stand. You saw it up there. Let me give you some words for unity. Agreement. Unity means agreement. Amos says, can two walk together unless they be what? Agree. You can't walk together unless you agree. Agreement. Put that up there, Nia. It is from this Greek word, symphoneo. That means symphony. 
It means to harmonize as in one accord. It means to cooperate together, to bind together as in agreement. Don't you understand that when you're in agreement and you're walking together like that, if this one over here fails, you also fail. And if that one over there succeeds, you also succeed. You're going to get there together. We got to gather together to draw, to join together, to be as one. Another phrase, one accord. We hear that in the Bible. It's from the, it's from the Greek word homotheus. And it simply means unanimous. All of us, unanimous. To be in one mind, together, in vision. To be with one mind or one purpose. Look at this now. To set aside personal ambitions. Uh Uh-oh. Feelings and work toward the purpose of the whole group. See, the purpose of the group is greater than what I want to do. I, I, I I know many marriages have been successful because of this. Because one has a purpose and the other has a purpose. But then when you begin to have children in order to run the household, somebody's got to step back a little bit. Come on now. Somebody's got to be humble. Somebody's got to be out there doing, and somebody's got to be humble. Come on. You got to work together. Come on now. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We were talking about, that's why so many Hollywood marriages, I believe, don't stay together, especially when they're both uh, on top of their game. You know, two stars. It's, it's difficult to share, the, to, to both have the spotlight. Come on. That takes something special. Set aside personal ambitions and feelings because we got one purpose. It means to rise to a certain challenge with one mind. We're going to do this together. And even the word unity, it's from a, a Greek word, henotes. It means to be in agreement. Singleness of heart and mind. The quality of being in one purpose. The quality of being whole. The whole is greater than the parts. Come on. Especially a union of all. We need everybody to be on the same page. One. He uses this word one. Jesus said, my father and I are one. There's one spirit. One Lord. One faith. You can't get to the Lord by many different faiths. I hate to bust your bubble. Come on. I know that might make some people upset. Because the way we are in the world today, it seems like, listen, you get there this way, you believe in that, you come over here, and then we all get there together. Ain't going to happen. There's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, not by Buddha. Not by Confucius, not by Allah, come on. Not by any other name. But at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so we are called to be one. One what? One one heart. In Acts chapter 4, the multitude of those who believed were with one heart. They all came together. Now, they did something that I I think would be very difficult to ever duplicate. 
It says, uh, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but he brought, but they had all things in common, and they brought all of their possessions to the apostles' feet, and they divided it out. That's what kind of one heart they had. That takes something special. One mind. Peter said, finally, all of you be of one mind. Now, there's only one way to do that. Uh, we can get in a room together and say, you know, Sister Jody, what do you think? Uh, I think this. What do you think, Larry? What do you think, James? What do you think, Clarissa? And we can all write them all down together. It would never come to one mind. There's only one way to do it, and that's to go to the mind of Christ. What does he say? And that's what we all need to go to. Come on. What does the Lord say? What does the Scripture say? How would Christ do it? That's why I love that when that brother came out with those, uh, the things, what would Jesus do? And he had the WWJD. And then I had to upgrade it. I said, I had to go back to the Bible and say, what did Jesus do? Because he did it before. I'm not just wondering what he would do. I read the Bible and see what he did do. Come on. What did Jesus do? That's where we need to go. One mind. Oh, and we need to have one judgment. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, we have written on the wall up in our elders' room, and we're getting there. Come on. Everybody not perfect, but we're getting there. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, now I plead. Paul said, I plead with you, brethren. I beseech you. I plead. I'm on my knees begging you this. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. Don't let one speak this, don't let one speak that, but that we all speak the same thing. Now, I'll mention something about this. I know that in the church, we have denominations. This one over here thinks it should be this way. That one over there thinks you should be baptized that way. This one over here doesn't believe in tongues. That one believes in signs. This one doesn't believe in this. But you know what? We all preach Jesus, and that's a good thing. I, I, you know, listen. I can't talk about you too bad because we all preach Jesus. That's a good thing. But my thing is this. If we all preach in Jesus, shouldn't we all be speaking the same thing? I'm not telling you that I know everything that's right, but I know Jesus does. And I know if all of us together would search it out in the Bible, we'll all come to the same thing. Now, to you it seems impossible. But I want to tell you something. With man, it is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. Paul didn't say, I want you all to speak the same thing when you say Jesus. But now, when you talk about baptism or you talk about music in the church or this or that, that's okay that you say something different. Come on now, let's step on some toes now. He didn't say that. The scripture says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. How come we not doing that? Well, we got a Baptist church and an apostolic church and this kind of church and that kind of church and other things that call themselves church that ain't church. Universal Unitarian Church, no such thing. Come on. Oxymoron. It just don't happen. We let too many things pass. I saw something, I try not to look at it too much, but I saw something on the social media uh, this past week. Where this pastor, he called him, he said, I'm a, it's an ex-pastor. He said, I'm an ex-pastor, and 
you know, the reason why I'm an ex-pastor because I found some things in the Bible that weren't true. And so I used to be a pastor, but now I'm not a pastor. And, and my brother sent me this. And I said, bro. Well, I, did, I said, bruh. I said, don't send me that kind of stuff. Because first of all, it, it, you either a pastor or you're not. If you're an ex-pastor and you used to be a pastor, you never were a pastor. You were just playing like you were a pastor. I say that to folks who are saved. If you used to be saved and now you're not saved, and you no, you never were saved. Because when you're saved, you change. When God comes in and does something, he does it. You can't undo what he does. Come on. I know that's probably stepping on some toes. I better move on to this one. Come on now. Because we got to be on one accord. We eventually got to get to the same thing. We got to get to the mind of Christ somehow. Some way. One accord. Acts 4, 24. So when they heard that, they raised their voices to God with one accord. They were all speaking the same thing. They were singing the same song. They were after the same purpose. Come on. The purpose of God. And he said there's one spirit. We just read in Ephesians 4, there was one body, one spirit, just as you were called in the hope of your calling. One hope. Come on. And then we need to have one focus. You still got your Bible? You still got your Bible on you? All right. Turn to Genesis 11. You've read this story before, and you know it. You've heard it preached, some of you. But it's a, but it's a great example. Come on. God don't put none, he doesn't put things in the Bible for no reason. Genesis chapter 11, that's the first book of the Bible, way back. And starting at verse 1, the Bible says, Now the whole earth had how many languages? One language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar. They dwelt there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar and they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower in, 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 in whose top is in the heavens let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth uh, the bible says but the lord came down to see the city and the tower what are these folks doing down here uh, which the sons of men had built and the lord said Indeed, uh, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, the Lord said this. Come on. God Almighty. He said this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing. That's the, that's the word the Lord used. I don't know what's in your Bible. I'm looking in my Bible. It says, now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. So the Lord couldn't just let it happen. He said, come, let us go down. He's talking about the fullness of God. Jesus went back. It says in Thessalonians that, he, that, the, that the Godhead might be full again. Come on. Let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, the name of that city is called Babel. Come on, Babel. A house 
divided will be destroyed. But a house that speaks one language, God said there is nothing that will be withheld from you. Think, if you will, for a moment, if the church, I'm not just talking about the life church, the the universal church. I'm talking about the Baptists and the Apostolics and the Church of God in Christ and the Church of Christ and who else? The African and Methodist Episcopals and the Presbyterians and the whoever else, the this and the that. If, If we all came together and spoke one language, If we would put all of our own thoughts aside, I know you were offended years ago, and I know it was this way, but guess what? We can come together now. And if we came together, nothing would be withheld from us. We complain about the politics. We complain about the way our country's been run. We complain about the gas prices. We complain about these fools going to airports shooting people. We complain about what's going on in the Middle East. We complain about our boss at work. We complain about a husband and our wife. Come on. We complain about our kids. We complain about our pastor. We complain about uh, the congregation. We complain about so many things, not understanding that if we came together and spoke the same thing, in the same language, that there would be nothing withheld from us. There would be nothing that we could not accomplish if we did it together. It's what God is trying to tell us. But Jesus said every kingdom divided against itself will fail. It will fall. I just want to lay some groundwork for you as we get into this series. One of the biggest things that really divides the church and our families. Come on talking about marriages, I'm talking about best friends. One of the biggest things that divides us are offenses. Offenses. Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. This word offense, it's a curious word. We use it a lot. But when I began to delve into it and look into it, a very curious word. The Hebrew word for offense is mikshol. M-I-K-S-H-O-L. Mikshol. And that word, listen listen to the definition of it. The Hebrew word. To catch in a snare. Occasion of misfortune, cause of ruin, to slip or stumble. The Greek word is scandalizo. It means this, even more interesting, a bait stick. That's what an offense is, a bait stick. Kind of like one of those sticks that you might put in a trap. Come on, some of you from southern Indiana, you you ever trapped anything? Maybe a rabbit or a squirrel? And you put that stick on there and and it has the, the covering over it. So that when the animal comes in, come on, pull the string and the stick comes. Now you've captured the animal. And I know it's like, oh, yeah, the animal, that's funny. But guess what? That's exactly what Satan does to us. Got the stick there. Come on, go ahead. 
get offended, get offended, boom, gotcha. Now I gotcha. A bait stick, the movable stick of a trap to slam shut, further definition. Whereas by one is closed or trapped in to catch something in a snare. That's what this word offense means. Now I want to tell you something. You may not have done this, but I have experience. I have both offended and been offended. Now, some of you maybe have done one. Some of you might have done the other. Some maybe have never been in neither. I don't know. Some of you have been in both like me. And I know how it feels to both offend and be offended. But when I realize that it's a trick of the enemy, that he sits back in his easy chair, come on, and kicks his legs up and begins to laugh because two people are involved in an offense or a church or a family is involved in an offense, now he can relax. He can watch the game. He can watch reality TV. That's what we are sometimes, but he can just sit back and watch. He doesn't have to do anything because now that the offense has come, we're doing all the work for the enemy. Come on now. Extended definition, an obstacle on the path in which one falls over or stumbles over. That's an offense. The purpose to cause moral or spiritual ruin, to suffer injury. Come on. To cause a person to begin to distrust, to wound with words or actions, to act injuriously or unjust, to be insensitive. Here are some signs where you can detect the enemy is trying to entrap us. Here are some signs to look out for. Give you these and I'll leave you alone today. First of all, strained relationships. When relationships become strained, you know the enemy has a hand in it. Come on. Just something, I don't know, every time... I talk to that person, they just rub me the wrong way. Proverbs 18, 19, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. It's hard to win back somebody who's offended. Resisting authority, come on, that's a sign. Offenses cause distrust. Hindering response, response to authority. But Solomon said, listen to counsel in Proverbs 19.20. To receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Another sign that offense might be there is when you begin to drift. Or you see someone who begins to drift away from the church. Come on. I remember, I've told this story before, but I remember... Going to a church in my teenage years, I was, uh, I was old enough that I didn't have to go with my mother. But I was, too, I was still young enough where I was still stupid. You, you young people are smarter than I'm just talking about me, not y'all. And uh, one Sunday, I got offended at something. I, I think I was playing keyboard. Probably somebody said you played the wrong chord or something, so I was all offended. 
And then the next week I didn't go to church. But I hadn't planned on leaving the church. Nothing like that. I just didn't go the next week because I said, so, you know, Tony then got on my nerves. Tony was the head of the music ministry. And uh, he got on my nerves because he said something to me. So I'm not going this week. I'm just going to stay home and wait for the football game to come on. And then the next week, I thought I was going to go, but then I didn't go because I had some other stuff that I wanted to get. Next thing I knew, you heard the story, I was gone from church for five weeks. By the time I looked up, I've been in church all my life. And then I got scared. After the fourth week, I said, well, now I, I really want to go back to church. But now I've been gone for four weeks, so I'm not going back to church because what are they going to say about me? So finally, the sixth week, I went back to church, and everybody, Tony, and everybody else was so happy to see me. They didn't even know I was offended. They just figured I got hurt. Something happened. I went on vacation, and they just welcomed me back, started playing keyboards again like nothing ever happened. But I began to recognize that when you begin to drift away from the local church, you have to recognize that there may be an offense there. That needs to be taken care of. Strongholds of vain imaginations. What do I mean by that? The trauma of offense may cause a person to become emotionally unstable at times. And you begin to see every circumstance through the glasses of the offense. So, Dietra offends me. And I come back to church. And I'm seeing everybody the way that she talked to me. Why do you say that to me, Jody? What? What did I say to you? Simply because she said something that I took as an offense. I see everybody that way. You need to recognize that. Constant satanic harassment. River of the Holy Spirit dries up in you. We know that. I mean, we don't go by a feeling. But when a person is trapped... They see their need or their problem as the most important thing in the whole world. Come on, been there, done that. When these things happen, bitterness spreads within your life, attitudes, emotions, anger, root of bitterness. It's hard to dig that thing out. And then from there, you have a critical fault-finding spirit, maybe a divisive Attitude and your and your excuses. Look, I'm just I'm just keeping it real. I'm just telling you know I'm telling things the way they are, and I just see things the way they are, you know. But the attitude behind it. Come on now, you know scripture. Or the Bible said the Bible says. You don't even say Bible. B I V A. The Bible says you need to be doing this, and you can see everything wrong with everybody else. critical, fault-finding spirit. How do you know you have that? Well, ask yourself these questions. Are you an expert at fault-finding? I'm an expert. I can, I can see when something's wrong. I can see it. I can see that one wrong. You wrong. I saw what you said. You wrong, too. I, I see what you did, Kevin. Come on, Sister Karen. I know. Uh, that's right, Andy. I saw it. Clarissa, don't act. I know. See, I can. I, Larry, I saw the way you was driving. Anastasia, I saw what you did. Come on, Dorothy. I know you was uh, doggy dudes, but I saw how you treated that person. Mike, I saw how you was playing the keyboard. Come on, Pam. And you can just see wrong with everybody. Come on. And don't get near a mirror. 
saying. <laughs> Do you keep a list of people's faults and remind them when you get the opportunity? Oh, yeah, but people do it, though. And this is the way they do it. Oh, it's so good to see you today. Randy, I'm so glad that you're doing better, you know, because I know you was drinking, and uh, it's just good to see you. It's good to see you doing better. Come on now. You know people are like that. It's just good to see you doing better, brother. I'm just, I've been praying for you. Do you think cynical is normal? This is one, this is one of my wife's pet peeves here. Do you think sarcasm is a social grace? Come on. Are you pessimistic about other people's projects? When someone wants to know why something might not work, does that person call you? Are you better at criticism than solutions? There's tons of them. Ask yourself, am I this way? But here it is. I, I know I said I'll leave you with that. I can't leave you on a negative. We need to, we need to resolve our offenses the biblical way. I'm, I'm getting to the dynamic effects of spiritual unity. And this is something that really blocks us. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that the enemy uses to block uh, our, our attempt at spiritual unity. But I really think offenses is just a huge one. I know it has been in my life, uh, with me personally, you know, just being in unity. Whether it's in marriage, come on, or with friends and with the church especially. And so the responsibility to resolve, three, let me give you just three things. The responsibility to resolve is upon both the hurting and the herder. We have to know that. All right, if, if, you're, if you're the one that's been offended, come on. If you're the one that's been offended, you have a responsibility as well. Matthew 18, 15, moreover, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. What Jesus said, if he hears you, you have gained a brother. And the responsibility is on the one who has done the hurting. You know it. You know when you've offended somebody. Come on. They're not talking to you anymore, not smiling like they used to. Jesus said, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave it there. In other words, I don't want it. Don't offer it to me. That's what Jesus is saying. He said a little nicer than that. He said, don't give me that gift. I don't want it. I do not want it until you first go your way, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. I'll accept your gift once you're reconciled. I mean, it's one thing not to know. But if you know, come on. And let me tell you this one. There's wisdom needed to resolve offenses. Now, don't shout me down. But there are some offenses that can be resolved without going to the other person. What? That doesn't make any sense. Anytime there's an offense, you have to go to the other person. There are sometimes when, and you know it, you Maybe you're a, you consider yourself a mature Christian. I've been around. I know the Bible. And somebody who maybe they just got saved or maybe they're an immature Christian offends you and they, they wasn't from their heart. They just said something or whatever it was and it really offended you. Now, if you're really the mature Christian you think you are, you'll just let that offense go. Come on. 
Sometimes it can be resolved without going to the other person. Sometimes. And you know by the spirit when that is. That's if you're a mature crowd. I'm just saying. I'm calling no names. Sometimes a person offends out of immaturity. No wrong intention. They were just ignorant. Ignorant is not necessarily a bad word unless you use it that way. But come on, there are things I'm just ignorant to. That just means without knowledge. I didn't know. And now that I know, I go back and ask for forgiveness. But if I just didn't know, I just said a thing and I didn't realize it. Come on. It was just out of ignorance. Sometimes it's a personality thing. You ever known somebody, their personality just rubs you the wrong way? I mean, they didn't say anything wrong necessarily. There's a guy in my office. He comes in every morning talking loud. I mean, you know. I mean, when the Colts lose, he just talks real loud. And, he, and at, at some point, I'm like, Jeff, don't you need to go work? Go log into your computer, man. I mean, it's just the way he talks. I mean, I, that's just me. Y'all probably don't have anybody like that. I know it's people in your life that just rub you the wrong way. Sometimes it's a personality. You just have to be able to forgive if you're a mature Christian. And lastly, that's it. Resolving any offense does take an attitude of forgiveness. We need to understand that we have to be able to forgive. Now, watch this now. Watch it. Even when the other person doesn't ask you for forgiveness. Whoo! I don't know about that. I don't know about that, Brother Mike. Now, that person knew they said that, and they knew they hurt me, and I just don't know if I can forgive them. And God will tell you, if in the Bible I say pray for Jerusalem, don't try to interpret it as something else. Come to me. I'll tell you what I meant. God said forgive. You'll be like, Peter, doggone. How many times I got to forgive? Just forgive. Come on. Psalm 86.5, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all of those that call upon you. Here's what we need to be. We need to be ready to forgive. How many walk around ready to forgive? Come on. That's a little difficult, isn't it? I mean, we need to get up in the morning and we need to be ready to forgive. How many can walk around, how many can say they walk around ready to forgive? But the God that you're trying to be like, he's ready to forgive. His mercies are new every morning.